Welcome to the Meditation Podcast. You can find all our episodes on meditationpodcast.org. We're also on YouTube. You'll find the links in the podcast description. I've got four other podcasts, the Speaking Podcast, the Awakening, the Learn Polish, and the Crypto, as well as being a podcasting coach. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guest, she's actually a licensed clinical professional coach, internal family systems therapist, meditation guide, and holistic health coach. A lot of lovely, interesting things. Please welcome <laughs> Heather Shannon. Thank you, Roy. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about meditation and other things. Yeah, nice. No, so, I mean, to be honest, I definitely touch on the meditation, but it's mainly what you've your you know your uh, qualifications. So I suppose let's let, let's go first into your kind of your journey, your meditation journey, as well as the whole journey of you know how we yeah. got to being a therapist. The meditation journey is interesting and it actually correlates with when I was a client in therapy. So when I was in grad school, um, getting my master's in counseling, they kind of recommend that you like, you know, go do some of your own counseling. Um, and so I saw this therapist, I only wound up seeing her for a couple of sessions, but she was kind of like, you know, you're a little anxious. <laughs> um, there's a meditation temple right around the corner. They have services that are open to the public. Like maybe go check it out. And I don't think I did right away, but at some point I got there and I don't think I had any like magical experiences, but, and I didn't really know how to meditate. I just like showed up and sat quietly basically. And I think that was just so delightful. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just quiet. This is different. Okay. Um, so I guess I enjoyed that on some level. And I think that a lot of things in my life, it's like, there's a goal and there's an outcome that I'm after and I'm trying to kind of like make something happen, you know? And this was one of the first things where it's kind of like, I'm, I'm not quite sure why I keep going back, but I just keep going back. And it kind of like pulled me in. And so it was a really different experience for me in that way. And I think it was, it felt very balancing and kind of organic. And um, so I kept going there. It was kind of spotty at first. And then eventually I got more consistent and they had some little like classes and discussion groups that I would go to. And then maybe like four or five years into going, they were kind of like, if you want to officially become Buddhist, you can. So then I did like a precept ceremony um and officially became buddhist and my like family was pretty supportive which was nice my aunt and uncle even like drove up to the north side of chicago on their scooter <laughs> and attended my ceremony uh along with my immediate family and um so i went there for i think like nine years and then i went to um i moved and i went to the shambhala center um, in the West loop of Chicago. And I was, I was kind of interested and ready for that because they have a lot of courses. They have more of like a path that's laid out. And so I was curious just to see where that goes. Um, so I went there for, I don't know, maybe another four or five years. Um, both places wound up having sex scandals. <laughs> so that was, that was interesting to go through. And so for me, um, when Shambhala had that, I, um, I stuck around for a little while thinking like, okay, like shit happens kind of, you know, um, and like, let's see how we deal with it. Let's see how we recover from it. And it just wasn't feeling 
it wasn't feeling right for me. I was like, you know, I think there's some stuff that's like woven woven into the fabric of how everything is organized here that's not being addressed. And I think I, I think I need to peace out. <laughs> so since then, it's been more, you know, meditating on my own or uh, meditating as part of um, breath work or yoga um, or with clients. I do meditate with some clients as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been the journey to today. I did get, I did become a meditation guide while I was at Shambhala. So I went through some additional training to do that. And I did welcome, uh, the newcomers and I would be the person that would be like, okay, you're here. You've never meditated. You don't really know what to do before you kind of join the big room. Let me kind of sit down with you for a bit and just go through the basics. So that was, that was my little volunteer job. Excellent. So what's the kind of meditation that you do? Do you do silent or do you have music? What's kind of the one that you kind of go towards? So both places that I went to did a silent meditation. Um, And I do like that. I like it a lot because you're really working with your own mind. Um, I liked Shambhala's instruction a bit more. It felt like a bit better feel for me. There was a focus on feeling. And so it felt like this very like embodied experience, whereas at the Zen temple, it was more of a focus on uh, like counting breath and like noticing an awareness whether rather than that direct feeling experience. So the feeling really works for me. <laughs> um, so I like that. And I also will say I do guided meditations as well, you know, um, so it just kind of depends like on the day and how I'm feeling. Um Today I did a little bit of the silent meditation. I like, I don't know. I like the stillness of the silent meditation. So I would say overall, there's, that really does draw me in. I, I also feel like it's a little harder at times. And so um, having, you know, either some kind of gentle music or uh, an audio is really good for me on days when I'm like, ah, I don't want to do the silent one. And I'm like having some resistance and I'm like, okay, what if I can just like, be a little gentler with myself and do a guided one or if there's something specific you know that I'm wanting to work on so um a couple nights this past week I did um like a manifesting abundance really kind of long like 60 minute guided one before um or as as I was going to bed uh so that was that was actually great. I'm pretty fussy, I will say, about the audio on the guided ones. It's like I, I'll listen to a few seconds and and see if I like it. And then I'll kind of bookmark the ones in the Insight Timer app um, that I like best. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, the um, when, it, when I find a guided one where I'm like, oh, I really like the voice. I really like the music. I like the topic. Then, you know, I'll repeat that one a few times. And do you, and with the two places that you studied under, mm-hmm. what do they, with the eyes, do you keep your eyes open or do you try to close oh. them? And just... Yeah. So they both did eyes open, which is interesting because everyone I was instructing would kind of assume eyes closed. Um, and I think that maybe that eyes closed is more common, but so I think it, that was maybe a little bit unique that I had like at least 13 years of eyes open instruction. Yeah, because yeah. some people think that, well, if I have my eyes open, you know, I'll have a lot of distraction. But the reality is, I think you can, you know, I, I love being on a beach and just looking out into the open. I feel yeah. like that's one of the best places for me. 
Yeah. And that was one of the things I really liked about the instruction at Shambhala too, was that um, you weren't trying to shut out any of that sensory input. It was, you know, Hey, the focus is going to be primarily on feeling the breath and all the sensory input. I remember one time there was someone outside the building, like just outside the building, dribbling a basketball. (laughs) So that became part of the meditation. It was like this very distinctive sort of echoey sound at the time and you'd even hear your own breath uh you'd hear the stomachs of people next to you it's like the second the room gets quiet everyone's stomach starts rumbling right (laughs) so that was always interesting and yeah so I agree with you I think that can be lovely sometimes not to feel like you have to shut it out and I also think having your eyes open can be more difficult. <clears throat> so much like just the silent meditation in general, um, because you're not, you're not escaping, you know, you're exactly. like really, really <laughs> like, okay, this is, this is life. And I'm just going to be really present to whatever comes up. So, so I will say sometimes I, I want to close my eyes, you know, or sometimes I, if I want to have more of an internal focus, I will close my eyes. I notice uh, when I moved here where I am that, you know, I, I like the silence, but then the cars run out. They were annoying me. And then it was, I, I read something and was kind of like, you just have to embrace all this stuff. It's a part of what's around you. And once you stop making it being annoying, it's no longer annoying. Because sometimes right. I think, especially people that are starting, or even sometimes yes. it's people that are doing it, it's like if you think, that a t- dripping tap or whatever it is that's annoying me you're no longer in a meditative state you've lost the, you've lost the point right. trade. <laughs> Lots of yeah i mean right because then you're with your thoughts and you know um and it's great to notice that you know so one of the things i tell people is is that you know don't have this expectation going into meditation that you're just going to clear your mind magically, you know, I'm like, it doesn't really work that way. And like, we all have thoughts and our brains are kind of wild and they're going to keep pulling us away from having a single focus on our breath or whatever it is. I know it could be a mantra, it could be, you know, looking at a candle, um, plenty of options there, but yeah. So it's like, okay, what if we just keep noticing? And I like what Dan Harris said in the 10% happier book when he, he was on a meditation retreat and he was kind of newer to meditation and being kind of hard on himself. And, and he started shifting into thinking about noticings per minute. And I loved that. It's like, instead of, Oh my God, my brain's all over the place. What if it's like, Ooh, I noticed that my brain was all over the place 30 times this minute. (laughs) That's pretty great. (laughs) And I liked, I liked that shift in perspective a lot. So that's something I use with my clients too. And like with the mind body, because you mentioned the yoga. So like, when did you start doing yoga? I mean, I have to say, I'm not like a yogi by any means. I'm not like a five day a week yogi person, but um, I've been going to a couple yoga studios in the area since I moved to Florida a couple of months ago, but I'm really into like the restorative yin yoga. I go to one called yoga for empaths. We usually do like one pose and lay there for half an hour. <laughs> Doesn't that become painful? No, that, I, even thinking of that makes me feel pain. Like now, you're like you use the different yoga props to you know position yourself and really support your body. So it's not like you're holding a lunge or something yeah. or like a warrior pose for a long time. It's like a very restful 
pose um, that's meant to support you. So it's, it's quite lovely, actually. Um, I like that for helping to just kind of calm my nervous system. Brilliant. And yeah. with, with the therapy then that you're doing, because I know you're coaching others as well. How, how did you, how did that journey begin? Yeah, well, I started as a high school counselor. So I did that for six years. During my fifth year of that, I started a private practice with a friend from grad school. And it was funny because I had always wanted to do a private practice. So when she approached me, I was kind of like, yeah, why haven't I started this yet? <laughs> So I think the universe was giving me a little nudge there because she very quickly decided, no, thank you. Entrepreneurship is not for me. And then I very quickly decided I can literally never work for anyone else again. <laughs> so I uh, found my thing, which was great. And so I started the practice in 2011. And then, you know, along the way, I worked with people a lot. I started out focusing more on anxious people and like type A achievers and um, some addictive compulsive behaviors and everyone that came in wound up talking about relationships you know just because they're just so core to our lives and I think that relationships can be I think they are the most rewarding and the most challenging area of life for a lot of us and then I had some clients who were really brave in talking about, you know, sexual trauma or sexual identity. And that was really meaningful for me to see, like, there's really not a lot of safe spaces to explore that. And people were getting into the kind of thing where you wouldn't really get into that with like your friend or your buddy, you know? And I realized that I'm naturally very open-minded and not very judgmental, not the, not zero on the judgment. Cause I'm a human still, <laughs> but, but, um, so then I decided eventually to become a certified sex therapist. And so that's kind of the main focus of my work now, but it overlaps so much with mindfulness, um, because there's so many kind of pre-programmed social scripts that we have around sexuality. And I know I'm actually curious what it was like growing up in Europe, because I think Europe is so much better than the States when it comes to sexuality. But, um, you know, in the States, it's just very negative messaging. You know, if you have sex education, it's, it's only negative messaging. <laughs> so, you know, so I feel like there's a lot of work there to be like, okay, like, what, what do we need to kind of unlearn, you know, and I, I think of unlearning also as part of the um, mindfulness and meditation journey. So I feel like they fit quite well together. Excellent. So you're coaching other therapists, yes, basically just making sure that they're staying on, on track. And how, how does that work? Um, yeah, so I did recently start doing a little bit of business coaching for other therapists. And that came from me quitting insurance. So I used to accept insurance plans for therapy. And I got to a point where uh, insurance plans didn't pay me a couple times uh, for periods of months. Uh, one of them, I had to move back in with my mom for like four or five months. So that was traumatizing for me. And just realizing that when I do that, even if I'm investing heavily in personal development and professional development, which I always am, um, you never, you never get paid more. So there's, there's no incentive. And so whether you're fresh out of grad school or you've been, you know, a therapist in private practice for 40 years, everyone gets paid the same. 
And so that wasn't working for me. The errors they would make with, you know, when I changed my tax ID and then I didn't get paid for months or when I was going to add myself back into the insurance panel and that took them six months. I just got to a point where I'm like, no, we're just not doing this anymore. So I quit insurance and, you know, was able to raise my rates a little bit more, have a pretty healthy work-life balance. And so that was something that, you know, people started reaching out to me about it here and there. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do a workshop for this. So I wound up doing a few workshops and uh, recently had a coaching group for other therapists who were looking to leave the insurance uh, network specifically, or even who had already. Um, And it was actually really cool. So we just had a small group and everybody was very spiritually inclined in the group and sort of into, you know, energy healing and metaphysical um, practices uh, that they would incorporate into their either coaching or therapy work. So we had a great time, actually, which I don't often associate with business coaching, <laughs> but, it, but it was it was fun. It was like um, and I think that I really enjoy being a cheerleader for people and having gone through kind of all of the the angsty and self-doubt feelings of making some of the transition, uh, it felt nice to just offer that kind of uh, empathy, support, and then tactical information too on, on making the business change. So, Excellent. And like with the energy, because, you know, at the end of the day, the mindfulness and, you know, you know, when, when you're talking about you know, lovemaking or sex, whatever is, yeah. it's like, there's such a connection. So, I, yeah. like you're, you know, and what happens then when like, cause there's sometimes people get it and they practice it and then say the partner is kind of, there's like blockages because I'm mm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I would probably get into the internal family systems therapy. So um, that was a training I did. Uh, So I I lived in Puerto Rico for 14 months and I did the training like a week after moving uh, from Chicago to Puerto Rico. So, and it was based in Europe. It was actually based in Poland (laughs) where you live. (laughs) Um, So the training was based in Europe because there's like a two-year wait to get into the training in the States. And so I'm like, I don't want to wait two years. Like I really want to do a more in-depth training on this. And it was like a 14 day training. So I had to get up at two 45 in the morning <laughs> for 14 days. Uh, it was broken up into like seven days and seven days uh, to do the IFS training, but it's, it's a pretty cool method. It's really unique. And some of the important tenants of it, um, the main thing is self-energy. <clears throat> so self-energy comes from like the way they developed the concept of self-energy comes from a lot of spiritual traditions and including, you know, meditation and mindfulness and kind of the state that people get into. And so they talk about the eight C's of self-energy. So I'm not going to get all eight of them off by memory, but it's, you know, calm, creative, confident, connected, curious. So those are a lot of the the qualities of the self-energy and it is a being state. And so I think that's very much, you know, aligns with meditation. Um, so it's like when I'm meditating, I'm, I'm being, <laughs> that's kind of feel like, I feel like that's the practice I'm doing. And so, so that's what our self-energy is. And the idea of self-energy is that we all have self-energy. It's you can think of it as like source energy, you know, like we're all from the same source. We're all a creation. 
And it's kind of like our best higher self is sort of how I think of it. And so that's the essence of who we are. That's like on a deep level who we actually are. And then we have parts. And so the idea with the parts is that we have manager parts, firefighters, and exiles. And so the manager parts are proactively running our lives. So the parts are much more action-oriented than the self-energy. And then, so the managers are proactively running our lives, making plans, you know, setting goals, that kind of thing. The firefighters come up when something starts kind of going wrong. So like maybe we start feeling an emotion that we're like, ah, <laughs> alert, alert, that doesn't feel good. And <clears throat> yeah, so... The firefighters might be things like avoiding something, escaping something, any kind of vice or like substance that we turn to. Like, it's like, oh, I got to have a couple of glasses of wine. It's a tough day. Um, you know, shopping, gambling, sugar, you know, sex, whatever it is. Um, so ways we escape. Firefighters get a really bad rap. One of the important things to remember about the parts is they all have good intentions, and both the managers and the firefighter parts are actually protecting the exile parts. So the exile parts are things like feeling not good enough, feeling like a failure, feeling shame, feeling unlovable. And <clears throat> those things, you know, surprisingly, when I did the training, they were kind of like, well, here's like the three or four things that are exiles. And I was kind of like, that's it. <laughs> I'm like, do we all just have the same ones? And their answer was yes. <laughs> we all have the same ones. So we all have the same qualities of self-energy. We all have the same types of exiled parts, which I think is cool, honestly. I think it's like that reminder that, you know, we're all connected. We're all one. We all come from the same source energy. And so the way we work with parts in, in an internal family systems, because there's a lot of methods that will work with like the inner child or the inner critic or something like that. And those can definitely be considered parts. The key thing about internal family systems is that we're working with the parts from a place of self energy. So the idea is you don't have to like grow your self energy. You don't have to cultivate it. Really what's happening is it's, um, they call it a constraint release model. We have bl parts blocking. So you brought up blocking. So the parts will kind of block the self energy. And I think of it as kind of like something traumatic might happen in our life and a part learns that it needs to protect us in a certain way and it might take over. And so sometimes people will feel like, you know, oh my God, why am I an anxious mess? Or why am I just like so panicky? Or why am I like full of rage? And I call that like a part takeover. Uh, the internal family systems method would call it being blended with a part. Um, so it's like that little... I think of it as like a little energy body. Um, that little energy body kind of takes us over like our physical body. But the second we become aware, and here's where mindfulness comes back into play. The second we become aware, we're not fully taken over anymore. And that's really cool. And then you can ask the parts and it's amazing. The whole thing is amazing. You could ask the parts, you know, hey, anxious part or hey, rageful part. Can you give me a little space? Can you give me a little space so I can talk to you instead of being you? And the vast majority of the time they will. And the cases where they're like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over still. You can ask them to just turn the dial down on the intensities. Like, okay, this is feeling like too much right now. Can you like turn the dial down a couple notches? And they'll usually do that then. So 
those are actually some basic ways that people can work with their parts on their own. Um, the Insight Timer app, <clears throat> and I don't know if your audience is familiar with that, but Insight Timer is a great meditation app. Um, they actually have some internal family systems meditations in there uh, that are free. So Richard Schwartz is the creator of the method. So if they go into the search function and look up either IFS or Richard Schwartz, they'll find, you know, maybe eight or so 10 minute meditations on working with parts and understanding the IFS model. Um, but so that's, if people feel stuck, that's what I will do is figure out what part is coming up, what part of the body is impacted. So a lot of times when we're anxious, we might feel it like in the throat or neck. And so we kind of tune in to like, what is the body sensation? And then um, seeing if we can get to a place of self-energy with relating to that part. Because usually when we start, not always, but usually clients are like, I hate this part, <laughs> or like, or I'm uncomfortable, or I'm frustrated with this part, or I'm annoyed with this part. Um, and so if we can get to a place of like curiosity or compassion for the part, you know, then we're in business. And when somebody loses their libido, like, yeah, it, that's kind of energy as well. Is Like how, how oh, yeah. what's, yeah. I, yeah, I completely view that as um, life force energy. So I kind of view sexual energy and life force energy as the same thing. And it makes a lot of logical sense because we're all alive because somebody had sex, unless we were a Petri dish baby, but there's not a lot of those. <laughs> so we're all generally alive because of sex. And so I think, you know, it just makes sense to me. And so when I, when I see people have a lower libido, sometimes it's medication related, right? But sometimes, a lot of times, it's because we have a part coming up that's trying to protect us in a way that is numbing or a way that is compartmentalizing. And so we kind of think maybe just like, okay, sex doesn't feel safe in some way. Maybe it doesn't feel safe physically. Maybe it doesn't feel safe emotionally. Um maybe we've been so vulnerable and it can happen if, you know, a spouse gets a major illness, that might be a reason people kind of pull back or detach. It can happen because somebody went through a really painful breakup. Um, it can happen because somebody feels, I, I work with a lot of like newer moms. Um, they can feel kind of touched out you know, like, oh my God, my children are kind of pulling on me and grabbing me all day, or I'm picking them up or I'm doing this or that. And, you know, it's kind of like the last thing they want is to be touched. Um, it can happen because people have just had some sexual experiences in, in which, you know, maybe they were vulnerable and the person didn't, uh, the partner didn't receive them in a safe way. And, you know, was maybe judgy or, critical or maybe they had performance issues and judge themselves so that's again where a lot of the mindfulness comes into it's like can we be nicer to ourselves please <laughs> and you know? on, on the opposite side of the spectrum then when you have people that are like say addicted to you know, either sex porn you know masturbation or something like yeah. that what's the best way with dealing with that because like from my experience just with dealing everybody's got something like you've talked about it whether oh, it's gambling yeah everybody's yes. got their vice whether it's alcohol oh my god but a lot it's either sexual addiction is one of the things that uh, people suffer from absolutely and when I first started focusing on sex therapy I got a lot of that without kind of advertising for it um people found me uh so yeah it was either pornography or um you know chatting with people online or meeting people in person even if they're in a relationship already 
And, you know, I think that that's probably a firefighter part that's, you know, looking for validation and maybe we're not really feeling in tune with our own self energy. We're not feeling fully secure in ourselves. Um, and so we're looking for, uh, not only the validation, but a dopamine hit, (laughs) you know, and I do think some people have, you know, naturally more or less balanced levels of dopamine. And so that could manifest in a lot of, you know, different kind of risk seeking or thrilling behaviors, not just sexuality, but certainly sexuality is one area where it can manifest. Um, and so that's kind of how I work with people is, you know, learning how to show up for themselves instead of seeking something outside to make them feel a certain way. And, you know, I'm human too. I still seek things outside myself to feel a certain way. Let's not pretend we're going to get down to zero with that, maybe. And then we'll be enlightened or something, which would be very cool. But um, let's not rule that out. But in the meantime, we're human. And I think we do have to be compassionate with ourselves that, you know, we we are going to have a hard time being present sometimes and we are going to have coping mechanisms. And I think if we can see those, see those parts as having positive intention and be compassionate and curious and find out maybe what that positive intention is. A lot of times the parts don't want to be doing that job or role for us anymore. Anyways, they're kind of like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I've been working so hard trying to like help you in this way. And then if you're able to show up with self energy, which is infinite and unaffected by trauma and the parts able to lean on the self energy for help, and it doesn't have to work so hard, it can actually shift into like a much more enjoyable role for the part and for your whole system. So that's, that's basically the work that I'm helping people do. Yeah. I think with the kind of meditation mindfulness, you just become more conscious with yourself. So you, you realize when something is out of sync or even, you know, you have, as you mentioned, compassion for others. When you see that they're kind of reacting you don't think it's at you. You kind of have the thought process and the ability to kind of realize, you know, your partner is angry, not because of this situation, but because of something previous yeah. or some other situation. And then you're not going from a you know position of attacking. You're more from compassion and love. And then it kind of doesn't escalate. A hundred percent. And I feel like what you just described is part of like the Gottman couples counseling method you know it's like how do we bring things up and how do we receive them and they talk a lot about you know the softened startup and kind of like how can you bring things up in a way that's not accusatory that's not blaming that's just like hey here's how I'm feeling and here's what I'm noticing within me you know can we discuss it and then if your partner's able to receive it in a way that's you know okay cool this is about you this is not about me but yes I am able to receive it and support you like that's that's amazing <laughs> when, that, when that happens. Yeah, so I def- when I'm working with couples, yeah, that's definitely the goal. So I know that I read something on one of the channels that it was about the, the Madonna whore. The oh, yes. <laughs> that's definitely a thing still. Um, so yeah, when I mentioned sort of the Madonna whore complex, what I was talking about is that, you know, women in particular seem to kind of get classified in two ways. Um, and it's, it's been interesting even hearing like men talk about it. So kind of like, okay, this is, you know, this woman is pure and I love her and she's kind of up on a pedestal. And so she's the Madonna, she's like, you know, virginal and pure and and perfect and beautiful. 
and then like oh this person over here is kind of like the the mistress or the the sex worker or this person is like dirty and sexual and I can be like raw and animalistic with her and it's kind of this idea that like first of all that they're two separate people and they're two separate entities and kind of like that they can't coexist but you know I've I've heard men who are part of the kink community talk about like oh yeah when we first started dating I would like do all these nasty things with her but now I love her so I can't do that me up I'm like what I'm like but she's into this you're saying she likes it I know but now now I can't so it's just this like mental construct of you know how we view women and I think women you know internalize it as well where it's kind of like you know I can't go to uh what would be like an example or I don't I don't want to say that I like anal sex or I don't want to say that I'm into whatever it is, right? Because that means I'm going to be in this, you know, the whore side of the equation and that I won't be a pure, respectable woman with a good reputation. And so especially doing the parts work in the internal family systems, I'm like, we are many things, people. (laughs) We can be many things at once. And humans are beautifully complex. And so there was a a post I did on Instagram recently that was basically saying that, that it's like, you can be religious and highly sexual, you know, you can be highly sexual and still very pure. You can even be pure in how you approach being so sexual, you know, Um, you can be someone who would be great to bring home to mom and also very, you know, uncensored and, and open in your sex life. So that's that's kind of the message I'm trying to get across to people is, you know, we don't have to fit in one box. You know, we can just be ourselves. <laughs> and, and when, when I, when I yeah. saw that, I, I, because I was thinking, is it the case of, uh, you know, somebody after a few drinks? Because sometimes, you know, people get totally different after a few drinks and you're kind of wondering yeah. why aren't they like that normally and it's like a complete yin and yang yes. a complete flip. and is that that they just you know they're afraid when they're not drinking to actually be themselves yes i would say yes <laughs> i think you nailed it i mean <laughs> and i and I, that is something that happens around sex too because we might have all these messages of like this is not okay to be this way um, this is frowned upon or this is not respectable. And then they have a few drinks and they're kind of like, oh, inhibitions have gone away, all good, you know? And then they sober back up and then they feel bad and guilty and, you know, not good. So so I do think, you know, that's part of why <clears throat> I love the internal family systems method because it's all about accepting and befriending all of your parts, you know? And there's uh, a book, I actually haven't read it yet, but it's called No Bad Parts. <laughs> the, the whole book, just the title says it all. It's like, there's no bad parts. Like, what if there's something to be learned for all of them? What if there's an intelligence and wisdom in all of them? And I kind of view it as like, we are all a microcosm of the universe and our parts are kind of a microcosm of us, you know? Um, and so they have their own complexity as well. Excellent. And that's finally, because I know you've been on the Daily Beast, Hustler magazine and Gideon different things. So was yeah. are, are they all uh, just articles or were they actually programs that you've been on as well? The, 
Because I'm not from any. I don't know the Daily Beast or Giddy. I've never heard of it. I've heard of Hustler, of course. Yeah, yeah, mostly interviews. The the Hustler one was an article about uh, sex at different times of the day and kind of like what to do if your partner, you know, wants morning sex and you want evening sex. Um, Do what? (laughs) (laughs) Just all of the above. Um, Yeah. So, so most of them are interviews. trying to think there's anything yeah some of them that was like they'd look for expert quotes basically or support of like what they were trying to write about uh the giddy one i think was about different types of uh jobs within my field which was kind of interesting so they talked to someone who maybe identifies as like a sexologist versus like a sex therapist or who's certified or who's you know a coach and not certified and what their background is so that was kind of interesting too just helping people find the right providers basically um and the daily beast one was a little while ago that one was pretty funny uh i think it was about like after quarantine people were wearing very little clothes (laughs) and it was kind of like what's going on with this why why are people wearing like very skippy clothes what do we think is like the psychology behind that um so i commented on that for them yeah so it's it's fun i really feel like there's it's fun for me seeing like what are journalists writing about and like what are the things that are really of interest to people within the field and uh so yeah so it's fun to be involved with that for me excellent doesn't Heather thoroughly enjoyed our conversation (laughs) you might let people know how they can get in contact oh sure thank you Roy likewise and uh thanks for everybody for listening and one of the tools that I have that might be good for this audience is my sex for empaths checklist. So it's a free gift for everybody. And you don't have to be an empath or identify as an empath to benefit from it. But really what it is, is a, a list of here's the ways to make sure you're in alignment with yourself when you're approaching a sexual situation to make sure that it feels right and authentic for you, <clears throat> that the partner that you're choosing is somebody that feels healthy. So if you're somebody who's struggled with, you know, using sex for validation or compulsive sexual behaviors or guilt or anything like that, this is going to be an amazing tool. They can find it at my website, uh, which is just my name. So it's heathershannon.co. It is not a.com, just heathershannon.co. And there's a whole freebies page there. So they can check out the sex for empaths one, as well as a couple others. Excellent. Yeah. And I know you've got all the YouTube channels as well. Yeah. So all the links to all yeah. my socials. Everything is on the website too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll make sure I put that both on the audio and the video. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much, Fry. So that's all for the Meditation Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on meditationpodcast.org. As mentioned, we're on BitChute and YouTube. And be sure to give us a five star rating, thumbs up, share with your friends. Really helps. Until next week, take care. <laughs>